Thank you. Um, hey, one of my earliest memories of being a child is I would go into my room and I was I'd play. I'd push one of my mattresses, one of my my mattress, over just a little bit, so it would create like a shelf between the box spring and the top mattress. And I'd line up all of my stuffed animals on it, and I would stand back and I'd preach to them. I really would. I it was like <laughs> it's one of my earliest memories. I love doing it. Um, I guess ministry preaching. Being able to speak is something that's been my heart for a long time. I was raised in a Christian home. I had parents who were pastors, and I was a pastor's kid, and I loved it. I really did. Uh, my life was far from perfect. My parents were not perfect, but they did do their best to raise me in a home that knew God and, and loved him and trusted him. And um, the most influential moments of my life, I believe, were watching my parents. Like I learned priorities by watching my parents. I learned faithfulness and and honesty from my parents. I learned uh, to trust God and wait on him. I learned how to pray by watching my parents. And um, I loved the church because my parents loved the church. And it grew to be a part of who I was. I loved the people in it. And they were far from perfect. (laughs) Uh, But I loved them because Jesus loved me, and I was very far from perfect too, right? I loved watching my parents serve the church. And so as I grew up, um, I, I loved the church, and to this day I love the church. I love the people in the church. Uh, I laugh because I'm like, I don't know that God actually had to call me into ministry because I was begging to do it. Like I was one of those like, here am I, send me. You know, please, Jesus, please. I remember in 12th grade, uh, I'll never forget it. I'm sitting in a chapel service uh, at my school. We had them on Thursday mornings. I was sitting there, and I had been listening to an, a song. It was new at the time, a Stephen Curtis Chapman song. It was for the sake of the call. Some of you know that song. And if, if you don't know it and you can get past the late 90s vibe, it is, it is excellent. I, I listened to it again yesterday and just cried because I was like, it's still real in me. Something happened in me that day. Something switched. Something flipped in me. And I was literally never the same. I felt God called me um, to follow him. And I made a commitment to God a whole long time ago. I said, look, if you will give me the opportunity to get in on what you're doing, I promise you I will gladly serve you every day of my life. Wherever that takes us, whatever that looks like, just let me in on it. And um, I counted the cost, and it was worth it to me. And so um, that has led us here, led us to Huntsville, led us to plant the church. And I just, I wanted you to know, you are so worth it. You are so worth it. And um, I love you. I love you very much. Some of you I don't know, but I love you because I love the church, and um, I believe in it. So in a lot of ways, you're an answer to prayer for me. Uh, And so this morning, I'm excited to get to speak. I'm passionate about what we're going to speak about. So um, I'm honored honored to bring the word to you this morning. I'm going to start with Philippians chapter 3. This is going to be kind of a guiding text for us uh, this morning. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12. I do not mean... I'm already as God wants me to be. 
I haven't reached that, that goal. But I continue trying to reach it and to make it mine. Christ wants me to do that, which is the, the reason he made me his. Brothers and sisters, I know I haven't reached that goal, but there is one thing I always do. Forgetting the past and straining towards what's ahead, I keep trying to reach the goal and get the prize for which God has called me through Christ to the life above. If you've been with us for a couple of weeks, you've heard Joel ask, hey, do you want God's best? And I'm fairly certain that all of us in here are like, yes, yes, I do. I would, I'd prefer God's best. Uh, in my life. And so we've talked about uh, a lot of times that involves, most of the time that involves us getting rid of stuff, giving things up. So we've talked about giving up our vision, giving up our shame. Last week it was giving up our appearances. And this morning I want to talk to you about giving up the familiar, giving up the familiar, that default, that thing that's real easy in us, giving it up to make space for God's best. Uh, the, the older I get, and especially the last couple of years, I have noticed that a lot of people are on empty. They're maxed out. Uh, I'm watching a lot of us stretch a dollar bet, like better than we've ever stretched a dollar before because finances are tight because of this inflation stuff. Our time is completely jammed. I bet if I asked some of you, you know, let, can you give me an evening this week? Some of you literally wouldn't have an evening. You may not even have an hour right? So our time is really, is really stressed. Our finances are stressed. I saw a poll, Gallup poll, it said that family stress is at an all-time high, that patience is very thin. So we've got emotional and mental and physical and financial and spiritual, all these stresses, and a lot of people feel like they're on empty. They're like, I am, I am maxed out. And you may have even asked yourself, like, do I even have anything else to give? Do I have anything in me that I can even offer someone? Maybe you've even told God, hey, God, it's not a good time. Like if you'll hold off on whatever it is you're trying to deal with me about, right now is not good. I don't have anything left to give. The danger in stopping and saying, God, just, just let me sit back in this easy chair. Can I, can I sit in autopilot just for a little bit? The danger in that is that we are prone to stay there. We're prone to stop and not keep moving forward, not get back into the swing of it, because we crave comfort. We are people who crave the familiar over a discipline change. We crave something that we can just sit back in and just ride it on. And Jesus offers us an invitation for something better, but it requires that we give stuff up. So this morning, our teaching text is going to be through John chapter 11. And it is a very long passage. I'm not going to read all 56 verses to you this morning. Um, I'm going to catch you up to speed, and then we'll jump in midway through. So you've got two sisters, Martha and Mary. You may have uh, recognized their names from other passages in the Gospels. But you've got Martha and Mary, and they've sent word to Jesus. Hey, we have a brother, Lazarus. Jesus knows Lazarus. Hey, our brother Lazarus is sick, and he's going to die. We need you to come. Jesus is out of town. He's with the disciples. And so he gets the word that Lazarus is sick. And for whatever reason, Jesus stays where he is. He stays out of town for two more days. And then he gathers his disciples and says, come on, we're going down to the, to the village. And so they get close to Bethany where this family lived. And at that point, 
they find out Lazarus is dead and he's already been buried and he's been in the tomb for four days. So I, when I read passages of scripture, I try to put myself in the character spot, right? I want to know what they're feeling because it kind of helps me understand responses, gives us some clues. So I think about Martha and Mary, first off. I know they're exhausted. There's some of you in here who've been caretakers before. Maybe you had somebody, a spouse, or somebody in your family that was sick. And so you had to be the caretaker. So physically, that's exhausting. But it's also mentally and emotionally exhausting. It's, it is constantly giving of yourself, trying to serve the person who's sick or needs, needs taken care of. So you know Martha and Mary are tired. They're exhausted. And then their brother has died, which leaves some social implications, right? They're women. There's no man in the house. So how are they going to be taken care of anymore? How are they going to make ends meet? And then on top of financial stresses and social stresses, you've got the fact that they just lost their brother. This is the guy that they lived life with. They were they made memories with. And so they're grieving and their heart is broken. So you see... A family who's got financial stress and emotional stress, spiritual, physical, financial, and and it sounds a whole lot like us now, huh? Sounds very familiar. Humanity's stresses and burnout are nothing new. And so since it's nothing new, if today looks or at least feels a whole lot like 2,000 years ago, then the question we're going to ask when we look at this passage is, what is it that I can learn from this story? And what invitation is Jesus offering to me? If, we, if we're feeling what they were feeling before, what is it Jesus is trying to teach us? Um, if you're taking notes, if you're a note taker like me, this entire passage is rich in substance. So I encourage you, uh, jot some stuff down. So we're going to start reading in uh, John chapter 11, verse 20. We're going to start with Jesus's interaction with Martha. Now, Martha, real quick, Martha is a busy woman. She is very practical. She's efficient. You can read in other verses in the Gospels. We get little glimpses of Martha. And she's one of those women that she knows scripture. You can tell she sat probably and listened to the readings uh, in the synagogue maybe. But she is very practical. She's a hard worker. She's one of those that like looks like she's got it all together right? She's very confident, and we'll find out she's also confrontational. Uh, let's start with verse 20. When Martha heard Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Do you notice Martha right there shows up to Jesus with a problem and a solution? She's like, hey, I've got a problem. You weren't here. He died. Funny. I also have a solution. God will hear what what you ask. So let's go ahead and get this done, right? Let's keep going. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Martha, do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. 
Martha arrived to meet Jesus. She confronts Jesus, and she has a plan. And honestly, her plan on paper was great. She had the right answers, right? She knew all the answers. It was default kicking in. She knows she's got the finish line in mind. Some of you are like that. I am. I got the finish line in mind. And I will try not to blaze people down, but if I need to, we can. I don't love that about myself, but that is just, that's how it is. <laughs> if you know me and I've blazed you down, I apologize. Personal apology. No, I, you, it's kicking in. It's who she is. It's who God made her to be. She sees the end in sight, and she's got this default kicking in. But here's what she had not factored in. She hadn't factored in taking Jesus at his word. She had not connected the promise with the giver of the promise. And if Jesus had allowed her just to blaze through this moment, well, that's Martha. That's just how she is, you know. If Jesus had allowed her to blaze through that moment, she would have missed out on the eternal work in her soul. Because it's more than just getting a solution. It's more than just us getting our way. Did you notice in that moment, that's where Martha identified and confessed Jesus as Messiah. You're the one. You're the one we've been waiting on. I believe you're the Messiah. And Jesus' personal invitation allowed Martha to align her understanding with his truth and his understanding. It was in that moment, because it's one thing to know something, it's a whole other thing to believe something. It's one thing to uh, become aware of something. It's a completely different thing to choose to follow it, right? One thing to believe, and another thing just to know. I love how it said, I don't always feel his presence, But God's promises do not depend on my feelings. They rest on his integrity. When we align our understanding with God's understanding, when that becomes aligned, we can rest on his integrity. And it doesn't matter how we're feeling. It doesn't matter if things are up and down. We can rest on his truth. And what I I see from Martha's interaction with Jesus is that he invites her And he invites us to leave the familiarity of our agendas behind. It is very easy for people like me and people like you to fall into a plan. i got a plan. I've got something. I know this is right. I know all the right answers. I know what I've been taught. But a lot of times, our agendas can get in the way. Remember what Paul said? Man, I'm forgetting what's behind. I'm straining to reach that goal. And if we're going to reach for that goal, oftentimes, our plan and agenda gets in the way, and it's not God's best. And Jesus says, I want you to leave it behind. I, I, I have something better. Let's align my, my truth with your understanding. So cues from Scripture also tell tell us something about Mary. Mary is Martha's sister. Um, She is a sensitive woman. I think she's a feeler. Um, You can see in Scripture she's the one, while Martha's running around cooking and cleaning and making the house clean, where was Mary? Mary was at Jesus' feet. She was just sitting there and she was listening. She wanted to be in his presence. Uh, It even says in John chapter 11, John writing the gospel literally says, Mary's the one that later is going to wash Jesus' feet with her hair. 
So we sense Mary is a whole lot different than Martha, I would say. Mary is a feeler, and she's sensitive, and she has lost her brother, and she's grieving. She's weeping. She's at the house, and it says there are a lot of Jews there. There are a lot of mourners there with her. They're sitting in her company, and uh, she heard Jesus was coming. And did you notice? In verse 20, we read it a minute ago, Martha went to meet Jesus, but Mary stayed home. I think that is very, I think that's, there's a reason John put that in there. There's a reason. I think about, uh, Joel and I have some very close friends of ours who, for the better part of 20 years, we never even lived in the same state as them. And they were very close to us. And in my head, I'm like, if I invited them, like I'm going through a lot, and I was like, hey, can you come? Like, we need you. Will you just bring the family and come? And I find out they're flying in today at 3 o'clock. Where do you think I'm going to be? I'm going to be at the airport, right? Like I've invited them to come. I need them. And I find out they're coming and I don't come. That would be kind of strange, right? Hey, get your own Uber. Like I, I don't have time. You know, like who, who does that? And so you look and you go, man, John put that in there for a reason. Mary stayed home. And we don't know why Mary stayed home. The truth is she may have been wanting to get the, the house ready, right? She may have been like, well, you know, I, I, don't, I don't look great. I need to freshen up, and i got to make sure the house looks good. Maybe she was saying, I don't want to leave all these people in my house. You know, I don't want to, nobody's here. Nobody will be here. But here's what I think. I think Mary was angry. I do. I think she was hurt and, and disappointed. And I wonder if she has put Jesus in this category as all these other, maybe all these other men that she's known. And she's like, you know what? I'm feeling forgotten, I'm feeling overlooked, and he didn't show up. We invited him, he didn't show up, they never do. I think Mary was mad, whatever the case, whether it was, uh, whether it was anger or whether it was whatever. She withheld her presence. Jesus was coming and she said, I'm staying home, I'm not going, until something happened. Let's pick up on uh, verse 28. Martha went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus hadn't even entered the village, but still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. What happened? What changed? tell you what, not what I noticed. Jesus called her name. Mary recognized that Jesus saw her individually. This was not just a big old problem, this big old sad story. Jesus saw... <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're doing the story of Jericho today. I just happened to know that. So I think... <laughs> I think I, it just hit me. I heard it earlier, but I, I'm fairly certain that they're marching around the walls. <laughs> Sorry, that was, that was good stuff right there. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, now that the walls have fallen down, let's continue. All right. Mary, 
Mary has recognized that Jesus sees her individually. Have you ever felt like you're just overlooked, like there's this big old problem and you're just one in a million? And Jesus said, I want Mary. Where's Mary? I need Mary. And Mary recognizes in that moment he wants to see her. And so she left the company of the people mourning with her and she went to be with Jesus. And she brought everything with her. She brought her unbelief. She brought her frustrations. She brought her complaints. And she falls at his feet and she blames him. Do you hear that? Remember, Martha came with a problem and a solution. Mary just walked in and said, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. And this is my favorite part. Jesus doesn't say, calm down, Mary. Stop. He doesn't say, stop Stop crying. Don't you know who I am? He doesn't stop and go, don't you know my track record? Don't you? you know what he does? He says he weeps with her. And then he says, where is he buried? Let's go there together. He doesn't call her out for being her true self. He weeps with her. He sits down with her and cries with her. That's powerful. What moved Jesus' heart? It was Mary's authentic, genuine self. That's what moved Jesus' heart. And we can encounter those moments when we're in his presence, when we're willing to be vulnerable. Too often we seek, listen, this is so important. Too often we seek the attention and the empathy of others. And we forfeit experiencing the compassion of Jesus. Too often, in the middle of our crisis and our pain, we pick up a phone and call our friend or our mom or our counselor. Too often, we get on social media and vent all of our frustrations and all of our hurts. Too often, we get on a text thread and pull people in that didn't need to be pulled in. And the truth is, when we do that, when we neglect to go to Jesus, we forfeit the experiencing the compassion of Jesus. It is there. He's waiting to offer it. But you... But you you have, to, uh, you have to go to Jesus. Not only does Jesus weep with us, not only does he offer compassion for us, but he also asks, where is the pain? He says, Lindsay, where's your pain? Where did you bury it? Let's go face that together. Let's go together. I'm not sending you out on your own to figure out your pain. I'm going to weep with you, and then I'm going to walk with you to that tomb where all that pain is, and I want to be with you. That's what Jesus does. But you have to take him there. You have to give him access, and that's when he does his best work. We read in Scripture, Jesus says, I comfort those who mourn. I want to give you comfort. I'll give you beauty in place of ashes. I'm going to give you joy in place of sorrow. I'm going to clothe you with praise, a spirit of praise instead of this heaviness that's over you. I want to give you strength in place of your weakness. I can do that. Jesus says, I can do that. But way too often, we seek people and we seek things to to fill those needs. And Jesus all the while is saying, I want you. I want you. I see you. Jesus invites us to leave an environment that nurtures pain in order to walk into an environment that restores life. The world nurtures pain. It does. And I, I love, look, I, I love people. And I love, I'm not saying friends and counselors and parents and all that stuff is wrong. 
But there is something different that happens when you walk into an environment with Jesus and his compassion. He will restore life. The truth is, Mary could have stayed home. She could have stayed angry. And she would have missed her brother being raised back to life. Which begs the question, what do our offenses cost us? What is it costing us? What is hanging on to disappointment and offense and pain and frustration? What does that cost us? Jesus can take the real you. He really can. He is not afraid of you. He is not offended by you or your pain. He isn't scared of you. He loves you. And the truth is, I felt this very strong. All week, I've been praying for you. I think somebody in here feels like they're in this big muddy water that nobody can see them. I want you to know Jesus sees you. He sees you. He has seen you the whole time. You come to him and you bring your pain, offense, whatever it may be, you come to him and he will do that beautiful exchange. You are not overlooked and you are not forgotten. Jesus invites us to leave the familiarity of our offense and our disappointment. He says, leave it at my feet. That's what Mary did. So you've got Mary and you've got Martha and you've got all the disciples and the Jews and they're all in front of Lazarus's tomb. They've all made it to the tomb. Now I want you to, to think about Lazarus for a minute. Lazarus had been sick, right? He had been, uh, he'd probably tried every treatment that there was and now we're at the last hope. Death was inevitable. Uh, we know that because they sent word to Jesus. Hey, I need you to come. Lazarus is sick. You know, you're the last hope. And so Lazarus lays in his bed of sickness, whatever the sickness was, however long that was, he's laying in the bed and he's waiting for Jesus, his last hope. And, and Jesus doesn't show up and Lazarus dies and Lazarus is buried and it's been days. Let's pick up at verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor. He's been in there four days. There's practical Martha again. Uh, he's been in there four days. Then Jesus said, didn't I tell you? If you believe, you'll see the glory of God. So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and his feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and seen what Jesus did believed in him. Do you notice the first thing, the first and only thing Jesus says after Lazarus comes out of the tomb? Take off his grave clothes and let him go. I, I kind of giggled when I first read that because I thought, really, right now? Like, the, the healing already took place. The miracle just took place. The dead man walked out. Like, that is the big thing, and nobody celebrates that. Jesus is like, take off his, dead, his grave clothes and let him go. 
And I, I, I honestly think, I don't know that he had anything else on. I mean, think about it. That's what he was that's what he was wrapped in. He was dead. And Jesus says, hey, I know that's the only thing that you've got on, but I want those off. Why so quickly? Why the urgency? Jesus has not been in a hurry at all this entire story. He took his time. He finds out Lazarus is dying. He stays extra days in the city. He comes down. He meets and talks with Martha. They sit and weep with Mary. They all go over to the tomb. And Lazarus sitting 10 steps out of that grave. And he says, take his clothes off and let him go. You know what I think? I think, I think Jesus is saying this. Lazarus, I want you to disrobe from your sickness and your death and from your former identity. I want you to disrobe from the way people used to see you because Jesus doesn't want him sitting in his grave clothes any longer than he has to. Jesus stripped off his old identity and he did it in front of that entire community and showed this is a different man now. Otherwise, they might only see what once was. He said, take off those clothes and let him go. When I read about Jesus doing miracles, oftentimes Jesus would say, shh, don't tell people. Like, go to the, go to the priest, get cleared. Please don't tell anybody this. I don't have time for all the crowds. This is not a good time. You know, he doesn't say that this time. He says, take his clothes off and let him go. He said, this new identity is Lazarus's testimony. People believed because of what happened with Lazarus. He was a walking testimony of Jesus being the promised Messiah. But this is key. I want you to hear me. His testimony was not in the grave clothes. Those were gone. His testimony was in the restored life that he had. And regardless of how we all got here, we were all dead to our sin. We are all dead in our sin. And Jesus died on the cross and paid our debt, paid our penalty, so that what Paul said to the, the church in Corinth could be true for us. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. And so we have to recognize that when Jesus brings us to new life, when we have, we have new life inside, there are things we have to get rid of. There are things we have to get rid of. We have to disrobe from our former identity. In doing so, there's a shift that occurs. And honestly, I think about it, why is it so hard for us to take our old grave clothes off sometimes? I thought about it. Like, what, what is so hard about that? Here's what I think. I think, first and foremost, we are lazy people. <laughs> we are lazy. Like, we're like, I already got new life. I'm Lazarus. I got called out of the grave. I think that's enough. It takes far too much effort for me to disrobe from who I once was. That is very familiar to me. That's too easy. That's my comfort is that I've still got a little bit of who I was right there because I'm familiar with it. I think a lot of times we're lazy. We don't want to go through the trouble of having to disrobe. I think the other time, a lot of times wearing your old grave clothes gives us attention because it reminds everybody what we went through, reminds ourselves of what we went through. Man, that was hard. I don't want to ever forget what I went through. But here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, take the clothes 
off. You have a brand new identity. You are a new creation. So do not wear your grave clothes like a, like a badge of honor. Don't wear your grave clothes because, well, it's the story of my life. Don't wear the grave clothes because that's how people see me. How does Jesus see you? Let me tell you how Jesus sees you. He sees you as a brand new creation. You are new life. So don't minimize his sacrifice and the miracle of new birth by wearing your old clothes. Don't do it. Don't minimize that sacrifice. He did a new work. You strip those off and you walk out in your testimony of a restored life. I love what John Newton said. He said, I am not the man I ought to be. I am not the man I wish to be, and I am not the man I hope to be. But by the grace of God, I am not the man I used to be. That's what it looks like when we take those grave clothes off. Sounds a whole lot like Paul in the beginning. You remember? I'm forgetting the past and straining towards what's ahead. I keep trying to reach the goal and get the prize that God has called me towards. This is key. I want you to hear me. It is so easy to stop prematurely in our spiritual walk. It's very easy to do that because we're celebrating our new life, but we fail to disrobe from our previous one. And Jesus invites us to leave the familiarity of our, of our old identity. He says, leave it behind. That's not who you are anymore. That's got nothing for you. So on Mary and Martha's worst day, they're maxed out. They've got nothing left. They are stressed financially, physically, mentally, emotionally, all the ways. <laughs> they're exhausted. And Jesus invited them to neglect going into autopilot. I want you to, to, to neglect going to that familiar, just sit back and comfortable spot. Why? Because he had something better for them. And on the opposite side of the spectrum, it is Lazarus's greatest day. Let's be honest. If you were dead and now you're alive, that's your day, right? And sometimes we're like, this is a good day, Jesus. Just chill out. And Jesus says, no. No, I invite you into a finished work. That is reaching for the goal and getting the prize, right? It's a finished work. He's not done. He's not done. I'm learning in this story, as I sat and I read it, it just became so clear that even in our weakest point, when we have nothing left to offer, I think a lot of us feel like that in some way. I don't have anything left. I'm on empty. Jesus personally invites us into something better. And his invitation is always extended. Don't wait on that perfect time, because every time is a perfect time, truly. Uh, before we close, I want, I want to go through a couple of, of areas. You know, the Holy Spirit deals with me often. I have to look at areas of my life and go, God, is this aligning with you? Is this, is this right? Is there something I need to leave behind? Is there something I've got to give up? So I'm just going to go through this list with you. We're going we're gonna to check on uh, some areas that maybe the Holy Spirit is asking you to give up as well. The truth is, if I'm going to strain towards what's ahead, if I'm going to get rid of the things in my path, I've got to identify what those are, right? Because we can, I, if you're like me, a lot of times I can be like, God, I want all of you. I want to do the best I can. But if you don't identify what we're going for, you're just going to kind of like a random arrow, just kind of shooting out into nowhere. 
I want to hit the bullseye. <laughs> I want to I want to get exactly what it is the Holy Spirit's dealing with me about. So let's go through a couple of things. Let's see uh, maybe some areas, some preferences, familiar places that we fall into that maybe the Holy Spirit's dealing with you and me about letting go. Maybe first your plans. Maybe the Holy Spirit's saying, Let, let's deal with, with your, your agenda, your plans. Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Why don't we lean on our own understanding? Partly because we don't have the big picture. We are not all-knowing. We don't have all the wisdom. We don't know, you know, the condition of people's heart. There's, there's a thousand reasons why. Don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, submit to him, and he'll make your path straight. He'll make that plan straight. Romans 12.2 says, don't be shaped by the world. Instead, be changed from within by a new way of thinking, and then you'll be able to decide what God wants for you. You'll know what's good and pleasing and perfect. That's alignment. That's true alignment. I realize that the more I attempt to align with Christ, uh, the less I want my plans and the more I want his, <laughs> truly. I recognize how, um, how messed up I make things <laughs> and how much better he makes things. Maybe God's saying, hey, I think you need to submit your plans to me. I think you need to leave your plans behind and, and listen to mine. Maybe it's offense. Maybe... Maybe you are holding on to some offenses that you feel are fair. This is fair for me to hold on to. Ephesians 4 says, Always be humble, gentle, patient, accepting each other in love. You are joined together with peace through the Spirit. So make every effort to continue together in this way. I notice we are an offended society, aren't we? We are a very offended society. But as Christians, we live in an upside-down society. We live in an upside-down world, and there is no place for offense in the body of Christ. There is place for forgiveness, and there's place for grace, and there's place for unity, but not for offense. And so maybe the Holy Spirit is saying, today's the day we're going to lay down offenses. We're going to lay them at the feet of Jesus. Maybe it's your pain. We talked about it earlier. Matthew 11 is where Jesus says, come to me, if you're tired and if you're heavy, and I'll give you rest, learn from me because I'm gentle and humble in heart. Jesus says, I'll give you rest. Are you hurting? Are you in pain? Come to me, and I'm going to have compassion on you. I love Charles Spurgeon said, pain, if sanctified, creates tenderness towards others. Pain if you'll allow God to deal with it and make it holy and pure, it actually creates um, tenderness towards others. I think maybe that's what it means to have beauty instead of ashes, right? That's, that's one way God does that. He takes something terrible and, and painful and he makes something beautiful out of it. Maybe it's bad habits. Maybe the Holy Spirit's like, hey, this is pretty familiar to you. Um, maybe we should leave it behind. Bad habits. James 4, 8 says, come near to God and he'll come near to you. You sinners, clean out the sin in your lives. You who are trying to follow God and the world at the same time, make your thinking pure. I think that aligns very well with Paul saying, keep trying to reach that goal. When I identify, we're gonna, we're, we've, got an, we've got an end goal here, who Christ wants me to be. i got to get rid of these bad habits. 1 Corinthians 13 says, When I was a child, 
I talked like a child, thought like a child, reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I stopped those childish ways. When we meet Jesus, we walk into our relationship with Jesus immature, right? We're brand new to it. But as we walk with Jesus, as we learn his ways, we're expected to mature. That's why in Scripture it says you start out on on spiritual milk, but we need to start eating like meat soon. (laughs) And I think a lot of times the Holy Spirit, like through that verse, when you're a child, you do childish things. When you're young in faith, you're not expected to know all the things all at one time. Of course not. But as we mature, the Holy Spirit will begin to point things out and say, hey, this is not a good habit of yours. This is something we need to leave behind. We're growing deeper in Christ. We're maturing. We're going to look a little more like him. Why don't we lay this bad habit down? Maybe it's the past. Maybe the past is something you need to let go of. I remember walking through downtown Birmingham. I was going down uh, into a neighborhood project area, and we were doing a prayer walk. We were all just walking through, praying, God, do you want us to do ministry here? And do you have anything you want to tell us? And um, we were walking through Tuxedo Junction, and I will never forget seeing this car on the right side. It had a bunch of those medals, you know, that go around your neck with the... Um, the gold, silver, or bronze, or whatever. And there were a ton of them hanging over the rearview mirror. It was piled, and they were old. Uh, They were weathered. Some of them were were broken. Um, And I remember in that moment that God told me, or I felt the Holy Spirit tell me, people look to their past because they have nothing to look forward to. And I thought... (laughs) That's so sad. They've got, they've got no hope. People are constantly looking back because they have nothing to look forward to. I want you to know something. As a follower of Jesus, you have everything to look forward to. You have a companion, a friend who will walk with you every single step of your life. He is closer than a friend. He is fantastic. You have everything to look forward to. Jesus gave a warning. He says, anyone who begins to plow a field but keeps on looking back, is of no use to the kingdom of God. It's no use if you're like, yeah, we're going to do this, but man, I love my past. No, we've got to forget the past and look towards what's ahead. Ephesians 4 says, you were taught to leave your old self, to stop living the evil way you lived before. That old self becomes worse Because people are fooled by the evil things they want to do. But you were taught to be made new in your heart. To become a new person. We got to leave the past behind. Maybe that's something the Holy Spirit's telling you today. Let's leave it behind. You've got so much to look forward to. Maybe it's unhealthy relationships. Now listen, I'm not telling you to quit on people. That's not what I'm doing. I am saying that if you want to press on, If you're wanting to press on and you've got people in your life that are constantly throwing barriers in front of you to progress and mature spiritually, that is worth evaluating. Proverbs says it very well. Spend time with the wise and you get wise, but friends of fools will suffer. Maybe it's control. Maybe control is something that is very familiar to you and and the Holy Spirit saying, let's let that go. That is my biggest one. That's like my number one of this whole list. Control is my problem. I have been known to be invited on vacations or trips with people 
And before we know it, I am driving their vehicle because I do not trust them. <laughs> I, am, I like control. It makes me feel like, you know, in control. Matthew 16, 24 says, If people want to follow me, they have to give up the things they want. They must be willing even to give up their lives to follow me. <clears throat> I can't control God. You can't control God. And the truth is, if we're honest, we can't even control our own lives very well. <laughs> we don't do a good job of it. A scripture the Holy Spirit tells me all the time. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. If anyone's going to follow Jesus, we have to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow me. Follow me implies I am following him. I'm not in the lead. I'm not in control. He's in control. Elizabeth Elliot, one of my favorite missionary people, she says it beautifully. He makes us wait. He keeps us on purpose in the dark. He makes us walk when we want to run, sit still when we want to walk, for he has things to do in our souls that we are not interested in. It's true. We want control. We want to be in charge of it all. And there are bigger things that Jesus wants to do in us. And he asks us, will you leave control in my hands? Will you surrender it? Lastly, maybe it's negativity. Maybe you look and you go, honestly, I'm just a negative person. <laughs> I, think, I think it's familiar to me. It's how I grew up. It's what I've learned. I don't know. Philippians 4.8 says, Brothers and sisters, think about the things that are good and worthy of praise. Think about things that are true and honorable and right and pure and beautiful and respected. Colossians follows that with, Think about only the things in heaven, not just the things on earth. Here's the deal. You may be going, yeah, but we're talking about negativity, and you just talked about thinking. I promise you this. If you start thinking things that are true and right and pure and of good report. If you start putting your mind on things that are eternal instead of focusing on the things that are going wrong in your circle, your mind will begin to change and your heart will begin to change and your life will begin to change. And as you, and, and it helps you get closer to that goal Paul was talking about. Jesus invites us all, every one of us, to get up from the comfy chair of familiarity, this place we relax in, our default. And there's no excuses as to why not. Because if not now, then when? If you'll do me a favor, I want us all just to close our eyes for a moment. Whether you're brand new to the faith or you are a hero of the faith, and I know we've got both sides of the spectrum and everything in between in here, there is always an invitation from Jesus to lay something down. Give up a familiar area, surrender something because he has something better. So I want you to just to take a moment. We're going to do something just slightly different. Just take a moment to listen to the Holy Spirit. Maybe there was something that you connected with this morning, an area the Holy Spirit is dealing with you about to leave behind or to leave at Jesus' feet. I encourage you to do that today, right now, right in this moment. You'll take a second and just say, God, I don't, I don't want that. I want your best, and this is holding me back. I'm going to give this up to you. Make the decision to leave it behind to make space for God's best.
Father, every one of us in this room has a personal invitation from you to give up something. And oftentimes we avoid these familiar spaces because they're easy and they're convenient. They're routine for us. But this morning, Holy Spirit, we give you space to speak. We make room for you. And if it means leaving something behind, leaving something at your feet, maybe it means disrobing from what we used to clothe ourselves in, then so be it. You started a work this morning, and I'm going to trust and rest on your integrity that you're going to finish it. May this group of people, may our church, your church, continue trying to reach that goal of who you want us to be. Forget the past and straining towards what's ahead. May our church always keep trying to reach the goal you've called them to. I thank you, God, for your ever-present invitation to us. Amen. Amen. My goodness, what a word. That's, um, that'll, that'll be on podcast. I'm going to go listen to that a few more times. That Man, you, you, thank you for making space, Lens, for um, there's just so many moments in the message where uh, you, where you were helping make space for the Holy Spirit to speak to us all throughout the, the, the message. And so, and I, I know he has, I know he spoke to me. I know he spoke to so many of you guys in here this morning. Uh, hey, before we wrap up, uh, it, when you came in, there was a, a, a card in your seat. If you're, if you're new here, uh, I would encourage you to fill that out. We just want to send you a little card and say thank you for coming. Uh, also, if you have any kind of prayer request, uh, if you want our church to pray with you, there's things going on in your life, um, you can fill out a prayer request that's on there uh, on the back of that form. It's a ask God, thank God. There's also a section in there for you to respond to just share like what the Lord's doing in your life. And so we as a church can celebrate with you. And so I want to I encourage you to do that. Uh, lastly, for those of you that call Four Corners Church home, I want to thank you for your generosity. The Lord's doing so much at our church because of you and, and your heart to see what God uh, is doing. And so we've got a lot, a lot of vision that we feel like the Lord has given us. The, the greatest hindrance to vision is a lack of provision. And so God has uh, supernaturally provided for us in so many ways at our church, and we're so grateful. And uh, I want to thank you for being generous. There's a few ways you can give. You can do it online. You can even text to give. Uh, or if you have uh, a cash or check offering, you can drop it in our offering box that's in the back uh, on the way out. So, hey, will you do this with me? Will you stand up with me? Uh, I've, been, I've been standing up here, and Lindsay's been standing up here. Now, now would you guys stand up with us? Uh, if, you, if you need prayer this morning, our altar prayer team, would you guys come forward? I'm, I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to dismiss you. But if you need specific prayer, you would like somebody to pray and agree with you over something in your life, we have a team that would love to stand and agree with you in prayer uh, privately up front after, after we dismiss. Um, and so, hey, I want to pray for you. Would you do this? Would you hold your hands out like this? Now, may the God who makes all things new, who restores to a new creation, may he do that in your life today. May he restore your soul this week. May he give you all peace, all joy, all grace 
And may you experience it in such a rich way it overflows to those around you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you. We love you. We'll see you guys this next week. Remember, Next Steps will be in here uh, in about five minutes.